Good morning. Try one more time. Good morning. Good to see you all today. You made it. We lost an hour of sleep, but you are here. Give yourselves a hand. Way to go. Way to go. My name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. Just welcome. We're so glad that you are here on this beautiful Sunday morning, like Josh said. There's so many things you could be doing, and we're so grateful that you chose to spend your time here today. And our prayer is that you will find that your faith is strengthened today, that you'll see how God is moving in your life, and you'll walk out of here with a clearer picture of how much God loves you and how much he has a plan for your life. My family actually just got back from Florida uh, yesterday, and I know it's, it's rough. We were down there for a church conference, learning about church planting and, and pastoring, and then we also took some time on the front end and back end of that conference. We took our kids down with us, and we hit up Disney World for one day. Do you have any Disney fans in the house? Yeah. Uh, any Star Wars fans in the house? Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who hasn't raised their hand, and you're just like, yeah, I want to raise my hand today. Yeah. Okay. Oh. A few extroverts in the crowd. Yeah, there you go. The introverts are like, no, please don't make me raise my hand. Uh, yeah, we got to go down to Hollywood Studios, and we are a Star Wars family. And we, we watch Star Wars, the, the Rebels TV show, Clone Wars, all that stuff. And so my kids were in heaven as we got to go on the new uh, uh, Smuggler's Run ride and Rise of the Resistance, and it was a ton of fun. My kids are just over the moon. But one of their highlights is you could sign up and get some Jedi training so that you can fight Darth Vader. And so our kids were very excited about this. And so I just wanted to share a little clip of my four-year-old, Andrew, fighting Darth Vader. I think we got that. Go ahead and put that up there. That's high praise. Run right position. Left shoulder. Left shoulder. Other side. Pivot. Yeah. 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 Duck. Duck. And cut to the head. Give Andrew a hand. He fought Darth Vader. I was watching that, and he was so intense, and I loved it. And you can see, he can throw up that picture. He's got his Jedi Master was teaching him what to do. And the whole time he's fighting, his Jedi Master is telling him, duck here, swing here. And so even though Andrew didn't really know what he was doing, he was getting some training on how to defeat his enemy. As I've been studying the book of Colossians, I've been thinking, this is so much like this, that we have an enemy who wants to do us harm, but our enemy doesn't know he's already been defeated. Amen? And so we don't have a Jedi master telling us what to do, but instead we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is whispering in our ears, duck, swing, do this. And so as we read this book of Colossians, it's filled with new believers, those who are brand new to following Jesus. Their church was brand new, just like our church. And in the same way that Andrew, just a little four-year-old, he, he's figuring out what to do and he's learning. The book of Colossians was filled with believers just like that. Maybe today you could even identify with Andrew that in your faith, you still feel very young in your faith. Well, our hope and our desire is that you are going to get some training on how to mature, how to grow into what God intends for you to be. See, the reality is we, we are all where we are right here. And one of the things we want in this series is for all of us to get a clear picture and say, where am I? Where am I in my maturity, in my journey of following Christ? And once we have an accurate picture of where we are, then we want to get a clear picture of the vision that God has for each and every one of us, which is to be matured into the likeness of Christ. 
Now, there's gonna be some practices that we're gonna have to learn to get from where we are to where God wants us to be. In the same way that Andrew and Joshua and Rebecca, they had to learn some training to learn how to be a Jedi Knight, we are gonna have to learn some practices to get from where we are to where we want to be. We have some people in here who have even served in the military. See, the military, when you sign up for the military, like my brother-in-law who served in Bosnia and he served in Iraq, so the military has a vision for what they want you to look like. And in the military, they teach you some practices, some habits, some disciplines that are going to help you get from where you are as a civilian to who they want you to be. And you have to learn those disciplines, those practices. Even if you're an 11-year-old playing drums or if you, maybe you've been playing a musical instrument for your whole life, you have to just figure out where are you now and then what is that picture? Okay, let's say I, I want to be a studio drummer someday. I want to be touring with Toby Mac, because Toby Mac's still be making music in 30 years probably. And uh, Owen's like, that's my vision. Well, it's like, well, here you are. Here's where I want to go. Now, what are those practices? What are those habits? What are those disciplines that are going to get me from where I am to where I want to go? So as we study this book of Colossians together as a church, my desire is that you get a clear picture. Okay, where am I really on my spiritual journey of following Christ and get an accurate picture of where God wants us to be. See, I think so many of us, we lose sight of our identity as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. But see, our enemy so often has a clearer picture of our identity than we do. And so our, our enemy knows the potential that is inside each and every one of us. And so this series we're calling Christ in You, and if you know the next part of the verse, it's the hope of glory. See, your enemy knows that you have the potential to be like Jesus. And that scares him in his boots. But so often we don't understand. We don't have a clear picture, but our enemy does. And he knows what we are capable of. See, in the Jewish society, when a rabbi would say, come follow me, what he was saying is, I believe you have the capabilities and capacity to be like me. And when Jesus called all those first disciples, these fishermen and tax collectors, those who worked for the rebel alliance of that day, those who worked for the evil empire, those who were fishermen, those who did different things, and he said, hey, come follow me, he's saying to them, hey, you can be like me. And that is why they left everything to follow him. And today, Jesus is saying to you, you can be like me. You can mature in Christ. You don't have to stay where you are. You can grow. You can have a clearer picture of what God wants for you, but we partner with Christ, and we have to learn some disciplines to get there. And so that is what we're going to be diving into today. As we dive into this book of Colossians, I want to encourage you to be studying along with us. We're going to take these next five Sundays as we gear up for Easter, Resurrection Sunday, which is the foundation of our whole belief. Our faith, as important as it is, is not built on this book. Our faith is built on an event that Jesus died on a cross for our sins, but then three days later he rose again, amen? And those early followers were willing to die for that fact. And then they wrote it down for us and they gave instructions to the early church. And so as we gear up our hearts, as we read this letter written to early followers of Jesus who didn't have the Bible, they're getting the Bible written to them, 
we too, as a new church, we want to be gearing up our hearts, ready to celebrate this the center of our faith, which is the resurrection of Jesus. And so on your own, I want to encourage you to take chapter one. I'm going to be covering some of this, and hopefully I'm going to give you a good overview, but there's so much more in here, so much more meat. And so meditate on these verses. Read it, just this one chapter, and then next week, chapter two. And I'd love for you to get together in your small group or some other friends and just say, hey, what is God revealing to you? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you through this great letter from Paul to the Colossians? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into God's word. God, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you invite us to follow you because you know that we can be like Jesus. So God, I pray that each and every one of us, we'd get a clearer picture of how much you love us. And God, just the vision that you have for our lives, that we don't have to stay stuck in our, our sin or our addictions or our mistakes or our immaturity, but God, that you partnering with us and the Holy Spirit working in us and through us can, can grow and mature us. So God, I just pray right now that as we dive into this letter, God, that your spirit would illuminate hearts and minds, God, that my words would be clear. And God, that everyone in here would receive from you that, that thing that you want them to receive this morning. And we pray, amen. Throughout this series too, what I want to encourage you is I'd love to see everyone bringing their actual physical Bibles for this series. Now, I love technology. I tend to read my Bible on my Bible app. I love to listen to it, read it on my iPad, pull it up on my computer. But there is something about bringing your tangible physical Bible. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you a Bible. But I want you to be making notes in this. Bring your Bible to your small group. Say, hey, what is this question? What do you mean? What do you think Paul meant here? Is he really saying this? I don't know. And so we want to be bringing our Bible. So next week, I'd love for you to bring your Bibles, put your note sheet in there, take notes on it. So next Sunday, I want to see us all bringing our actual physical Bibles. If you don't have one, we got one for you. So we're going to be reading today. Uh, first, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We're going to jump ahead to verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. First, this letter was written by Paul. Now, if you don't know the story of Paul, Paul was this wealthy, educated um, uh, leader. He was a Pharisee. I was a religious leader in Jesus' day. His name was Saul. He had the greatest Pharisee, Gamaliel, was his teacher. He could speak uh, Greek, Latin, Aramaic. He knew multiple languages. Uh, John Chrysostom, who was an early church father, he said that if you took all of the influential people in the world and you put them on one side of a stack of weights, Paul would be on the other side and he'd be equal to everyone else in their influence in world history. That's how much the writings of Paul have shaped the world. He wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. 
So much of his thinking, we, we learn about God and, and what Jesus came to teach us. He was a highly educated man. Paul really is probably the first feminist in human history, giving value and dignity and worth to women as well as men. He was also someone who said that we need to uh, come together as a community, not based on our skin color, but because we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. He, he, he radically changed the, the Roman households by saying that slaves should have dignity and worth and that uh, those who were slave masters should actually uh, view the, the, those who are slaves as their brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, it was radical. That's who our author is. But he's been teaching about Jesus. And how did this come to be? Well, he actually was persecuting the church. He was beating up men, women, children, dragging them off to prison because he was a devout Jew. And as a devout Jew, he believed there was one true God. And they would say this over and over again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And he believed that these, this sect called the Way was preaching this false message, turning people away from God, that how could a man be God? How could Jesus, who died on this cross, be God? And so he's killing Christians. And then on his way to kill some more Christians, God literally knocks him off his high horse. And he has a radical encounter with the risen Jesus. And Paul turns his life around and from persecuting the church to proclaiming the risen Jesus. But he's gonna suffer a lot for Jesus. And that's actually what Jesus tells him. You don't know how much you're gonna suffer for me. And so he, he endures shipwrecks and beatings and, and mobs and all these things because people don't like that he's preaching about Jesus and Paul's so subversive that back in that day, they would say that Caesar is Lord, that, that the, the, Caesar is the Prince of Peace. And Paul said, no, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And every title they used for Caesar, Paul would use for Jesus. And eventually he was arrested and put in prison. And he, he planted this church, you saw it in the video in Ephesus. Well, one of the people that was radically saved in that church plan of his went back to his town at Colossae and started a new church. And so now Paul is going to write to this new church. He's never been there, but he's heard about it. And so he, he, he's going to be writing, and he's going to be thanking for them. And for Paul, a sure sign of grace at work was the fact that a loving community created out of nothing, of a love not restricted to those for, with whom it had a natural affinity, but which extended to all saints. Paul is saying the fact that the gospel spread to Colossae, and people that had nothing in common, men, women, black, white, slaves, free, are all coming together for common good, sharing out of need, protecting one another, sharing what they had, talking about love and grace. This is a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work. And so he's saying, I have not stopped praying for you. I have not stopped giving thanks while he's in prison. I don't know about you. If I'm in prison, I'm probably thinking about myself and not about how much the gospel is spreading. That's what Paul was doing. So he's writing, he's saying, this is amazing. This, this church was started and, 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 and God is, is growing, but they're brand new in their faith. So like little Andrew fighting Darth Vader, the church of Colossae, they have a spiritual enemy and they need to grow up, they need to mature, they need to learn some best practices. And so Paul's aim for the book of Colossians, you can write this down if you want on the side, was that the Christians would mature in Christ. As you're reading the book, that's his whole aim is that, hey, you are new believers, you're a new church, I want you to mature in this, I want you to grow up into Christ, grow up into who God wants you to be. And what's our mission as a church? Why do we exist? We say this every morning out there in the lobby we'll be, uh, for our volunteers, uh, just humor me, we exist as a church to help people love God, 
serve others, and make disciples. That's why we exist. Well, what is the aim of discipleship? If, if we exist to make disciples, well, what does that mean? It's maturing people in Christ. It's introducing people to Jesus and helping people grow in Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about here in this whole book. And Paul intended his letters to be read out loud as in public as a group. There was no printing press in this day, so Paul would write a single copy of this letter. It'd be hand-delivered, and then they'd read it out loud in the gathering. People would hear it for the first time. And so what's good is that we cannot understand Paul's letter in a purely individualistic setting. That's why we want our small groups to come together. That's why we want to discuss this as a community, because that's how Paul intended it to be when he wrote this. It's good to study on your own, but in the original context, it was studying Paul's letters together. Well, the first thing we see, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, that through Christ, we have been redeemed and forgiven. Through Christ, Paul wants us to know that we have been redeemed and forgiven. In verse 13 through 14, he says, he, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, redemption is kind of a fancy word. We don't use it a whole lot, but in this context, here's what N.T. Wright says. He says, the word redemption, as used in the ancient world in general, is from a root which carried the meaning of purchase from the slave market. To a Jew, however, the root in question would always awaken deeper echoes, memories of the time when God redeemed his people from the kingdom of Pharaoh. Paul is purposely echoing the book of Exodus, the defining moment in the Old Testament when God's family had been living in slavery and bondage for hundreds of years in Egypt and God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob showed that he was strong to save and he rescued and he redeemed those people out of slavery into freedom. And that defining moment of the Old Testament was pointed to the time when Jesus would come and would say the world has been enslaved by darkness, and now God's going to redeem us, to rescue us out of slavery into freedom. Paul's saying that in Christ, God's people have been rescued from a dark power that has enslaved them and brought us into the blessings of membership in this new covenant. Chief of those blessings is that our sins have been dealt with once and for all. There's no longer any need to go to the temple and offer sacrifices. There's no longer a need to do good to get God. Instead, we get God. Because of God, love us. Now we can receive forgiveness. And this work of redemption is not some invasion from some hostile realm where God's coming in. No, it's the Lord of this world. Our greater God has come to claim his rightful possession. That God has rescued us from the dark powers that held us captive. This is the new exodus. But Paul says, Jesus didn't come to displace that God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the exodus. No, Christ is God revealed to you and me. He is God put on flesh. What once was this idea that we couldn't see, but now we can see through Jesus. We've seen, we see forgiveness for what Jesus did on the cross. Paul says, do you understand the implications of this? You can live in freedom. You're no longer bound. You have forgiveness. You don't have to live in shame or guilt any longer. All your mistakes, all the ways you don't measure up have been wiped away. Your forgiveness through Christ. And Paul goes on, Colossians uh, verse 15. Paul's actually now gonna quote a well-known hymn of their day. 
And this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, honestly. Such a beautiful picture of who Christ is. Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God, the God that we couldn't see, the God who stretched out and saved his people from from the evil Pharaoh. Now we see him in Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. Doesn't mean he's the first one that was born. He's first in order of importance. You can Discuss that in your small groups. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. Who's the owner of our church? Is it me? Is it our partners? Is it our board? It's Christ. He's the owner of Mosaic Church. He is the head of our church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled to his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul's saying, as he quotes this well-known hymn of this day, there's echoes of Genesis in there. In the same way that God created the world through Christ, God is bringing about a new creation. And the exaltation of Christ after his work on the cross gives Jesus publicly the status which he always enjoyed as a right. But because of sin, the always Lord by right, he must become Lord in fact by defeating sin and death. This is kind of a complicated uh, theological idea, but Christ was always Lord of the world. That was his right, but then he proved it by dying on the cross and once and for all defeating sin and death and rising again. And so now God has exalted Christ and he sits at the right hand of the Father. On the cross, God took upon himself that which stood as a barrier between himself and his human creatures, sin. The thing that separated us from God, Jesus came and he defeated once and for all, sin. And so now there is no barrier between us and God. We can come to him as his loving children, known and fully loved as he had been pleased to dwell on Mount Zion before, when he gave them the Ten Commandments, when he gave them their law and revealed himself, so now God is pleased to dwell in human form. And in making a world which he could appropriately enter, he made man and woman in his image. This week, that thought blew my mind, that God created a world knowing This could all go off the rails, that humanity could choose to not follow me. And that's what we did. After creation came curse. As we said, you know what, God, we don't want your plans. We we don't trust you have our best interests at heart. And so Adam and Eve chose for themselves to live according to their own eyes. But God made sure that in his creation, he was able to enter it. That thought was just, was, just amazed me that he could have made some creation that was so separate from him that it was impossible for him to, to enter into and rescue us. But he created us in his image so that when we didn't choose him, when we messed up, when, when, we, when we failed, he said, you know what, I can come into 
I can accommodate them. Like the Jedi master getting down on Andrew's level, that's what God did with us. And God accommodated himself by leaving behind his rights and privileges in heaven, clothing himself in flesh, coming as a little baby at Christmas time, and entering into our world. He didn't stay separate from it, but he created a world knowing that he could come into it to save and redeem us. And through Christ, you can write this down, we've been reconciled and declared blameless. Reconciliation effected through the death of the Son of the Cross reveals most clearly the love of our Father. We were once separated. The relationship was severed. There was this gap between us. And we could not approach our Father. And so he did what we could not do by sending Jesus to come to us to reconcile, to make that distance between us disappear. Have you ever had a rift in a relationship? Maybe with a spouse, a sibling, a parent, a friend. Maybe it feels like there's, there's this, this distance, there's, there's this wall between us. You need reconciliation. Maybe today. Maybe someone next to you. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. There's this distance between you and you feel it. And what you need is reconciliation. And we all have that gap, that distance, that wall, that, that thing between us and God. And God in his infinite grace and mercy and love said, I will reconcile. See, God doesn't wait for us to come to him. He, he's passionately pursuing us. He, he's entering into our world and saying, come, let's reconcile. I'm not, I'm not that, that spouse or that parent who's angry with my, my back to you wanting you to, to prostrate yourself and, 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 and show how sorry you are. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna punish you with a silent treatment. No, God has reconciled us by moving towards us. And then he declares us blameless. How many feel blameless this morning? No, not me. <laughs> but see, there's a gap between what we feel and what we've been declared to be. And the reality is we, we don't live like we're blameless, Right? We still mess up. We still make mistakes. But see, through the cross, he declares us to be holy, blameless, and above reproach. Do you feel above reproach? Do you feel holy? Not normally. But see, the Holy Spirit then partners with us to become that which we've been declared to be. Through Christ's work on the cross, you have been declared holy and blameless. And so now we're going to learn some practices. How do we become that which God declared us to be through the cross? Paul goes on, verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. He's in prison for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but this mystery now revealed to the saints. Paul's saying, I am suffering. What is he saying? He says that the, the cross comes before the crown. We are all picking up our crosses. As we participate in this Jesus-shaped life, we too are going to suffer. We're not filling up because there's some need. We're filling up because we're part of his body, the church. And why is Paul rejoicing in his suffering? Because through his suffering, the word of God is being spread. 
He says it's worth it. It's worth it so that people can find forgiveness and healing and purpose and to know they once were lost and broken, but now they can be made blameless and holy through Christ on the cross. So Paul, in his suffering, is rejoicing. The gospel is bringing light to dark places, and this great mystery has been revealed. That which had been hidden, this mystery, Paul says, is revealed. And what is that mystery? Here it is, verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, that's you and me, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the great mystery. What does that mean, Christ in you? Well, if you're like me, in our highly individualistic Western society, I first hear that, I'm like, Christ is in me, that's great. Yes, Paul means that, but he also means Christ is in you all. If we're living in the South, we'd say Christ is in y'all. I'm not from the South, so I don't say y'all very often. But as Paul's writing to this early church, he's saying Christ is in you, Nate, and Christ is in you, Mike, and Christ is in you, Jimmy, but also Christ is in you, Mosaic Church. We are the hope of glory. There's hidden potential in us and in our church as the people of God indwelt by the Spirit of God. Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he may powerfully works within me. Paul's aim is that they would mature in Christ. We too need to be made mature in Christ. Here's what N.T. Wright also writes. It says, to realize that one is complete in Christ is sure proof against the dangers of immature Christianity, the constant search for spiritual novelties, the unnecessary anxieties and fears over status or requirements, the pride over small achievements which threaten Christians in the modern world no less than in the ancient world. You and I are declared blameless and holy. Christ is in us. We don't need to sweat it out. But as Christ is in us now, we are going to mature to become that which we've been declared to be. And there's this balance between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Paul doesn't go about his work half-heartedly, lazily, just saying, hey, I don't need to work hard. The Spirit's going to do it all. But he also doesn't have to work with, with this anxiety and toil, saying, it's all on me. Saying, no, it's God's will that his people would grow in maturity. So we are now partnering in God's will. And we do this together. Write this down this last That God's goal for us, this is important to remember, is maturity, not perfection. It's maturity, not perfection. Some of you in this room, not me, struggle with perfectionism. And you think, man, I gotta be perfect in everything I do. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's not what maturity means. We'll never achieve perfection this side of heaven. But instead, God wants us to mature into Christ. We're here. God has a vision for our lives to take us there. And there's some practices, some habits we're going to get into. As I wrap up this morning, I want to just cover six habits of maturing disciples. And I first have these in a list. And then I'm not going to lie to you because every once in a while, I just got to tell you, I put in a lot, a lot, a lot of time to turn this into an acronym, okay? So I just want you to know, this is not something I found somewhere else. I have lists of like 32 H words and A words and B words 
because I knew what I wanted to say, but to try to get it to say the right words. And last night at about 8 p.m., I finally got it to all fit, what I wanted to say into the acronym. So I just want you to know how hard I'm working for you, okay? This is it. This is what your pastor is working on. Um, But hopefully this will actually help you to remember this. These are some habits of maturing disciples, and as you can see, they spell out the word habits. Number one, yes, yes, Uh, hanging out with other believers. Hanging out with other believers, that is one way that God uses to mature us. See, our faith is personal, but it's never private. Our horizontal relationship should develop just as our vertical relationship with God does. Transformation so often happens best in context with other believers. In the early church, here's what Dr. Luke writes, we studied this last year, in Acts 2, verse 46 to 47, and day by day, attending the temple together, that's in large group, and breaking bread in their homes in small groups, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. First thing you would do if you want to mature in Christ, you got to be hanging out with other believers. You got to be hanging out with people who are going to help you mature to become more like Christ. And together, we help each other. This isn't just hanging out with people who are better or worse than you. It's like we're all in this together. Now, first thing we hang out. I encourage everyone to join a Mosaic small group. It doesn't have to be a Mosaic small group, but you got to be hanging out with other believers. You got to have community. You can't do this on your own. Second thing, you have to be active in your church. Active in your church. Acts 2, verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. When you are saved into the kingdom of God, you are saved into a family. You are saved into his church. And if you want to mature in Christ, you have to be active in your local church. I've never met a growing disciple of of Christ who is not actively involved in his church. That's the way God designed it. Here's what I'm asking you to do. If you want to grow and mature, one of the best things you can do, sit down front, be actively engaged in worship. Raise your hands, sing loudly. When you see someone new coming in, actively move towards that person with the love and peace of, and grace of Christ and say, I'm so glad that you are here. This is your first time. We've never, we never met. Man, I'm so glad that you are here. Be active in serving. Take an active involvement. This is not my church. This is not the board's church, the staff's church. This is Christ's church. And as his family, this is your church. Be actively involved in his church. Don't be a passive spectator. Get in the game. Be active. The third thing is Bible engagement. This one out of all of them is the most important one. You cannot be a growing, maturing step of Christ and not spend regular time in God's word. It just, it can't happen. You have to be in the word of God. And there's so many different ways you can do that. Memorizing the scripture. We're encouraging all small groups together, when you get together, have a verse each week. Learn that small group. Hide God's word in your heart so that then when dark times come, you can recall that verse to memory. Journal, you know, in your Bible. Have a journal next to your Bible if you're reading through a Bible app. You gotta be engaged in your Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says this. All scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, So the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You gotta have Bible engagement. If you want to grow and mature from where you are to where God wants you to be, you gotta be involved and engaged in your Bible. Number four, investing financially in the kingdom of God. I know, I'm stepping on your toes here. But when we meet Jesus and he starts to change our hearts, one of the things God bursts in us is generosity. 
That means we're not just looking for ways to take, we're looking for ways we can give. We're grateful for the generosity of God, and we want to respond back to him. That's the way the early church lived. And, and here's what happened. Chapter 4 of Acts, verse 32 through 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. When you are investing in God's kingdom, you don't have time to complain, to get into the little, uh, small concerns. They were of one heart and one mind. No one said any, that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. What an amazing testimony. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to eat as they had need. If you read the book of Acts, what happened was that through this extraordinary generosity that Pharisees, those people who crucified Jesus, they actually turned from their sin and started following him. Why? Was it because of the apostles' powerful teaching? Maybe a little bit but they saw the generosity of the people of God because extraordinary generosity is extraordinarily powerful. When we live together in such a way that no one has any need, when we, when we take care of each other's kids and we babysit, when we give financially of the first fruits, the first 10% that belongs to God, when we give of our time, when we invest in his kingdom, it's extraordinarily powerful. People say, what is going on there? They're not existing just for themselves. They're existing for the benefit of the world. Be generous and see what God will do through you. Talking with God. If you want to grow and mature in Christ, you need to be talking with God. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You gotta develop and grow your prayer life. If you're someone today, who you're like, man, I'm new to following Jesus, and I just feel awkward because maybe the only prayers you hear are the prayers you hear on stage. I want you to know, don't let that freak you out. You have a heavenly father. You've been reconciled through Christ. You have been redeemed. You've been declared blameless. In the same way my kids run up to me and tell me the goofiest things, and I don't really care. I just want to hear from them. Your heavenly father is the same way. He just wants to hear from you. When you're in small group, when you're in your ministry team, whatever it might be, and, and, and someone says, hey, can you pray? Don't sweat it. You're just talking to your heavenly father. People are just listening in. And sometimes people say goofy things to their dad. That's okay. God doesn't mind. But we gotta be talking with God on a regular basis. And that's listening to him. It's talking with him. It's, it's listening to him. And God has devised prayer as a way of enlisting us as participants in the work that he's ordained. What is worked for must be prayed for first. Some of you, you have to learn how to transfer your pressures to prayers. Transfer your pressures into the presence of God in your life. You're feeling this weight, you're feeling this burden, but you're trying to carry it on your own. Instead, your Heavenly Father says, talk to me about this. Bring, me, bring this to me. And, and if it feels weird to talk, then write it out. Like you're writing letters to your Heavenly Father. He wants to hear from you. Each and every one of us, we have to have these times where we're setting aside to pray with God. Church, if we are not a praying church, then we're gonna be an, an anemic church that is powerless. We've been called to bring light to dark places, amen? We have to be fueled by prayer multiple times throughout the day. Today, I want you to think through and name where are the places that you are going to pray. Maybe it's on your drive from work to home. Maybe this one spot, you're like, when I pass this bridge, I'm gonna just connect with my heavenly father. Maybe it's, it's when you first get out that first cup of coffee and you hear that hit there, that's gonna be your trigger. Okay, that's right, I'm gonna pray. Maybe it's at your lunchtime, you're gonna bring your Bibles. 
Maybe to work with you and, and you say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray over this lunchtime. Maybe it's in your drive home. Maybe it's with your kids at night. Write that down. Name those places you're gonna meet with God. If we're not intentional, it won't happen. And talk to your father about that thing that is wearing you down. What is, what is bringing you down? What is filling with you? Anxiety and worry. Your father wants to hear from you. If you want to grow from where you are to where he wants you to be, you gotta develop these practices. You gotta be growing in prayer. If you can look back and your prayer life is no deeper or more intimate today than it was a year ago, then you gotta do different things this year than you did last year, amen? So what are you gonna do differently? How are you gonna stretch yourself to grow in prayer, in Bible engagement, in hanging out with other believers, in being active in your church, in investing in God's kingdom? So that finally, we can be sharing your story. I don't have time to get into today, but in John 4, one of my favorite stories. Jesus passes through Samaria and he meets this woman at the well at the noon hour in a time when no one else was there because she's a scandalous woman and she doesn't want to be around any other women. And God, through Jesus, meets with this woman where she's at because race and gender and skin color is no barrier to God. And Jesus shows her love and compassion and she turns her heart and she meets Jesus, and then she runs back to her village sharing her story. I just want to read the very end of John 4. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because only of what you said that we believe. For we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. There's something powerful about sharing our story. See, you may not have gone to Bible school. You may not have all the theological right language. You may not feel like you can can talk about God with all the right words. But you have a story. And I feel like one way that I failed you as your pastor in these four years. I have not done a better job of saying, share your story. Where can you take Jesus that I can't go? I love that so many people have come here over these last four years and found healing from addictions through Jesus in this place. But you know what? I don't think I've done a good job to say, hey, share your story. Bring Jesus back to those Alcoholic Anonymous meetings you go to. Hey, you have brokenness at your work. Bring Jesus with you. How can you help bring heaven to earth in your neighborhood? How can you make your neighborhood this year a little bit more like the kingdom of God? And it starts by sharing your story. It's bringing light into dark places. So you all have a story. And Jesus wants to use 
your pain, your brokenness, the way that he has brought healing into your own life to make a difference. Because everybody matters to God. Whether or not God matters to them, amen. And so our prayer is that we understand Christ is in me, Christ is in us, Christ is in y'all, the hope of glory. Our enemy understands the potential that each and every one of us has and he trembles and he hopes that we never fully appreciate that as we hold things back because we don't give it all to him. What I want you to do now as we close, we're going to uh, we're going to respond through song. We're going to invite the band to come on out. It's actually an old worship song, but the bridge of the song says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And sometimes we sing because we believe it, and sometimes we sing because we need to believe it. I don't know where at today. Maybe you don't feel very holy or blameless or above reproach. Maybe you don't feel called or redeemed or saved out of darkness and brokenness, but through Christ you have been saved and redeemed if you put your faith and trust in him. And now Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Would you stand with me? God wants you to mature and grow. But if we're going to become what he wants us to be, what he's declared us to be, we got to learn some new habits. Maybe there's just one or two of these habits that you can grow in. Which one of those? Maybe it's all six. As we sing the song, let God's spirit work through you. Listen to him. What is he nudging in your heart and your mind? Be actively engaged. Don't be a passive spectator. Maybe in the song you want to reach out to your heavenly father. You felt that distance, but now you're going to believe that you have been reconciled, that your Heavenly Father isn't giving the silent treatment to you. He is reaching out to you right now. Maybe you want to get on your knees in submission of saying, God, help me to bring my story to those who are far from you. Help me to bring light into dark places. And I believe God's going to do something amazing in and through us as God sends us out to share our stories to those who so desperately need it. It starts by first recognizing that Christ is in us and now we're gonna bring him to the world. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing this song together. God, thank you that you are here. So God, we pray that you would be the God of our living, our breathing, our waking, our sleeping, every moment of every day. God, we submit to you and we say, mature us, grow us into you. Help us develop these habits so we can become that which you've called us to be. And Jesus, I pray specifically for each and every one of us to bring you to those places where others can't go, to bring light to darkness so that others can experience grace and forgiveness and love. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. In your holy name, we pray. Let's sing this song together.